Hi everyone, I'm Kina. I'm Catherine. And I'm Juliet. And we're a team of three high schoolers committed to engaging in meaningful discussion and learning more about the topics we're passionate about. Our conversations range from politics to social justice to environmental reform. Anything goes. Welcome to All of the Above Out Loud. Our topic this month is advocacy for women facing domestic violence or experiencing homelessness. Such adverse factors are disproportionately affecting women in Los Angeles. Because Kat and I have grown up in Los Angeles, this is a topic that hits close to home. We're excited to announce that our guest this month is Anita Vukovic, Advocacy and Communication Coordinator at the Downtown Women's Center in Los Angeles. She'll be joining us shortly as we introduce what the Downtown Women's Center is. The Downtown Women's Center is an organization in Skid Row where they focus on serving and empowering women experiencing homelessness, and Anita will get more into this throughout the podcast. All right, so some quick statistics about the Downtown Women's Center. It was the first permanent supportive housing provider for women in the U.S., and it currently has 119 supportive housing units in Los Angeles, and they have a 99% housing retention rate, which basically means that the women that are living there, they will stay there. <laughs> they also are the only health clinic exclusively serving women in the Skid Row community area. And broadly, they have a mission to empower women throughout their entire lives and set them up the training and tools to navigate their life. Okay, so they have three pro- uh, four programs, the housing program, the health and wellness program, the advocates program, and the workforce development program. Anita will be elaborating more on these specific programs later on throughout our podcast. So let's get right into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. This is our third episode, and today we have a very special guest. Anita, could you please introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the work you do at the Downtown Women's Center? Uh, Yeah. So hi, everyone. Um, Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So happy to be here. My name's Anita. Uh, I'm the Advocacy and Communication Coordinator at the Downtown Women's Center, and we're based in Skid Row. Um, And basically what I do for the organization is just a lot of things and kind of depends on the day. So whether that is fielding interview requests from the media or kind of engagement requests from groups such as yourself or other universities and schools um, throughout the Los Angeles region. And in addition to that, we are, you know, very frequently kind of having events um, now virtually with our community or sending out newsletters, sending out um, news alerts if there is something new or exciting or advocacy action that we um, want people to jump onto with us. So it's all a lot and very exciting. And I guess that's one of the good things about DWC is no day is ever quite the same. That's awesome. So you mentioned a lot about DWC and the work that you do there. Could you talk about like the general mission and how homelessness impacts women differently? Yeah, we um, were founded in 1988 as the first service provider exclusively for women experiencing homelessness. And our mission is to basically end homelessness for women through a combination of four things. So that's housing, wellness, employment, and advocacy. And so, I mean, to end homelessness, right, we need women housed, but we see the other three things as really like keeping women housed, which is just as important. So our work aims to, you know, not just like provide a kind of band-aid solution to the issues, but really like work to create wraparound services that really support and empower women to, 
get on and stay on their path to personal stability using the skills that they already have. Um, so that's very important to us, like recognizing where people are, recognizing the skills and backgrounds and experiences that they bring and kind of building on that and collaboration with a number of different partners. Yeah. I also was <laughs> wondering a little bit about the distinct challenges that women face being homeless. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, <laughs> thanks for asking that because that's basically just really integral to why DWC exists and like what our mission and values are. So DWC was founded by an outreach worker named Jill Halverson, who um, became friends with a woman who was experiencing homelessness at the time uh, named Rosa. And they were in Skid Row and Jill Halverson, you know, realized that women have um, all these very specific issues and experiences around homelessness that weren't being served or necessarily like acknowledged by the majority of other service providers. So the Downtown Women's Center was really founded as like a safe space for women to come to and have their unique needs met. And when we're talking about those needs and experiences, I mean, the very first thing that unfortunately comes to mind is unfortunately, um, the really high prevalence of violence. So women are not only pushed into homelessness more frequently than men because of experiences of domestic violence and other forms of kind of interpersonal abuse, um, but they also are more likely to experience it on the street. And so along with those experiences, then comes the need for what we call trauma-informed care, which really exists as an approach to recognize the signs of trauma and the symptoms and to um, be able to treat them to help people heal. Because, you know, some signs of trauma um, people might perceive as someone just being difficult to kind of work with, you know, but if you're able to recognize those and you know that someone needs help and you know the help that they need and you can connect them. A lot of the times services and even shelter beds aren't necessarily just like designated specifically for women. And we know that a lot of women um, don't feel safe in shelters a lot of the time. So having those places where women can be is really important as well. This kind of goes into what the question that Kat's going to ask you, but when I was learning about DWC, I really was really intrigued by the whole model of DWC and the goal that they're trying to reach because they see women through, of course, housing, but all the way through to employment advocacy. And I think that's really cool because that's not something that I've consistently seen. And so it's just really unique and um, I'm sure it has had great impact. Yeah, I mean, that's great that you noticed that because that's really what we try and advance. Like we are, we want women housed, but in order to get them housed, like you said, like we have to provide all these other services that meet their, meet them where they are and can, you know, fill these kind of gaps that unfortunately do exist. Yeah. So like Juliet just said, we did find the employment and advocacy programs at the Downtown Women's Center really intriguing. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on what these programs do. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So the advocacy one, I'll, I'll start there. When we talk about advocacy um, at DWC, it means generally one of two things. So the first is, you know, we have like a kind of policy and advocacy team on staff that are engaged in local affairs and measures and things like that. Um, but the really exciting part, the second thing that comes to mind um, is what we call our advocates program. And so this is a training program for residents at DWC or previous participants who have exited homelessness. It's a program to um, help train them in storytelling techniques and kind of narrative building 
around homelessness and their specific experience to help them not only see it from a systems kind of perspective, but also to practice trauma-informed care for themselves and self-care to avoid kind of re-traumatizing themselves when um, telling what can be very personal and difficult stories. And so women are able to participate in this program um, and then to be connected and engage with a variety of public facing events, whether it's like public speaking or submitting public comment at a city council meeting, interviewing, all of those things. And it's something that's like very near and dear to our heart at DWC because we really see it as important to put women's voices and perspectives, like people with lived experiences of, of homelessness at the forefront of this conversation so that they can drive the change. They can tell us like what needs to be done and we can follow through, right? The employment one is part of our mission and we have two programs that advance employment, gainful long-term sustainable employment for women experiencing homelessness. Our workforce development program really kind of does what I was talking about before, like building on existing skill sets. So we have career series and kind of vocational training with case managers and workforce development staff who work with women to, you know, develop skills and help them reach a place that they want to be in life in terms of their career. We also help facilitate employment matching in 2020, even amid the pandemic. We were able to match 82 women with employment in Los Angeles. So that was really exciting for us. And in addition to that, we conducted over 1000 vocational sessions. So it's really uh, kind of a huge effort um, on that staff's part. In addition to employment matching, we place like a big emphasis in our learning center <clears throat> on kind of the small things that I think a lot of people who have stable housing take for granted when it comes to looking for a job. So not just skills like writing a cover letter or a resume or how to conduct a job search, but also, you know, having an address where you can receive mail or um, setting up an email address to um, be able to register for job search portals and things like that. So one of the things that we think makes our employment or work in um, employment for unhoused women so special is our social enterprise made by DWC. And it's called a social enterprise um, because it serves a social function to provide job training to women. And then all the profits from it are funneled back into DWC and made by DWC to continue providing even more opportunities. And so what uh, women at Made by DWC do is they curate our signature line of candles, basketball, soaps, um, even journals and artwork. And in addition to that, a lot of the ladies help us run um, the Made by DWC Resale Boutique to learn how to kind of curate sustainable fashion. And we also have a cafe, which is unfortunately closed right now due to the pandemic, but ladies will work there. And it's really kind of a great gathering space for the community when it is able to be open. Yeah, that's really great. Um, Made by DWC was one of the things that I especially was really interested in because, again, it's something that I haven't really seen before. And I know actually before you came on here, Catherine was talking about a similar kind of program that was happening at mm. high school, but it was for um, uh, recently released, what was it, Catherine? Yeah, it was like previously incarcerated um, people from the community. I, I'm not quite sure of the name because we interacted with them like in middle school um, and ordered stuff from middle school but that oh, was like cool. the first time I had heard of something like that and 
since then, uh, DWC is the only other place I've heard of that does something like that. So I find it really interesting. Yeah, I also, there's um, a brand of like salsas in LA that Homeboy, I think. Yeah, um, I think is that? Oh yeah, yeah. Homeboy. That's what it is. Homeboy. Yeah. Yeah, and the salsa is great. <laughs> yeah, I thought they had like other parts of um, other, other industries as well, but. They might. I yeah. just saw the salsa. <laughs> yeah, that's I've it. definitely heard of, that's, that's one of the ones that I heard yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, their salsa is great and our candles are great. So, yeah, yeah so I was actually looking at the products you offered earlier and they all look really nice. There's a lot that are sold out too. So that's really cool. Oh, that is exciting. Yeah, they're always pushing out new lines too. They're really creative over there. So I know we just finished like the holiday um, kind of shopping moment, but if we were still in it, uh, be a good place for that. <laughs> so I was reading online about the different kind of statistics that you guys offer in your uh, reports page. And I noticed that there are significant gaps between how homelessness affects different uh, underrepresented groups. And we're just wondering if you could kind of talk about why that might be. That's something that unfortunately is very, very real in homelessness. The kind of gaps between the rates at which, for example, white and black and Latinx Angelinos experienced homelessness in proportion to, you know, their share of the general population is really staggering. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, right, like, I, I think, like, my basic answer to that question would just be, like, systemic racism and the level at which different groups tend to find themselves, like, disenfranchised from resources and access to employment, healthcare, just general support, as well as like various levels of systems involvement, like with incarceration and policing and everything. As we really see DWC as a social, social justice oriented education, because so much of our community is disproportionately Black um, and Latinx. So it is, you know, it's great that we're all talking about it, but it does come, you know, at the expense that this is happening. And it's really sad and really real. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just so many adverse factors. It's it's hard to name all of them. And I think you got uh, definitely most of them. And especially in Los Angeles, a lot of those are very prevalent, as in uh, urban areas they are. So it yeah. is unfortunate to see, but it is uh, organizations like DWC that are trying to sort of mitigate that. And we can only hope that in some perfect world, however many years from now that uh, we adopt and get rid of all these different adversaries. I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that that is kind of like the positive takeaway is that, um, you know, if people are talking about it, it might mean that we're more open to these kind of solutions. I was reading some of the stats on your website about how uh, Black and African American individuals account for like 33% more of the homeless population. And that was on the page about Project 100. So could you elaborate a little bit on the project about like what it does and stuff? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like it's so important to talk about, you know, this potential solutions when we talk about the problems that exist too. So Project 100 is that we do see as hopefully like as being part of a larger solution, right? Um, and so Project 100 came from the recognition that underrepresented groups generally have less access to housing. And um, when they are housed, they have lower retention rates, which basically just means that they stay housed long term. 
And this kind of research came out of publications at the Los Angeles um, Homeless Services Authority, which we call LASA. And it's basically the main kind of coordinating body in Los Angeles. Every kind of region has one of those in the U.S. And the report itself, if you or your listeners are called or sorry, are interested is called the report and recommendations of the ad hoc committee on black people experiencing homelessness. And Project 100 kind of came out of that effort. It is itself an effort to quickly house 100 of Skid Row's most vulnerable female residents and to, you know, serve women who have been historically underserved by um, the homelessness and housing system as it currently stands. And so part of this is involves the recognition that we need to provide um, culturally responsive services um, to people of different backgrounds and groups in order to attain the same kind of housing. And so Project 100 is kind of built with that service approach in mind in order to achieve its goal of um, successfully housing um, 100 women and keeping them housed. And within that, they uh, are connected to housing specialists, peer specialists. And so that's kind of um, peer specialists are people, um, other women with lived experiences of homelessness who um, know how to access access resources, that sort of thing. So it's a really kind of um, exciting project, one that we think is really important and that we are going to be reporting a lot more on to our community um, because yeah, people seem to be really uh, kind of inspired by that work too. Yeah, we'll be looking out for dates. <laughs> So our next question is about what are the assumptions and myths around homelessness and how do those affect people experiencing homelessness? Okay, so <laughs> there's there's a lot in preparation for this. I kind of wrote up for myself four specific ones, um, but I'm wondering if you and your audiences are probably familiar with the phrase NIMBY. I don't think... I'm not familiar, so I wouldn't think that the audience would be since we've researched. So NIMBY just, it stands for not in my backyard, NIMBY. Um, and you can use it for, quote unquote, like to talk about NIMBYism. Um, and by that, we just mean, it's not like to be used in a disparaging sense. But the fact is that, you know, there are a lot of people who support generally homelessness initiatives and, you know, even voted for like, measure H, things like that. But when it comes time to build affordable housing developments, um, don't necessarily want them in their backyard. And those can right, like act as a barrier to developing the affordable housing that is so desperately needed in Los Angeles. So just really quickly, uh, LASA, the coordinating body I mentioned previously, they do a homeless count every year, which is literally an effort to count and talk to every person experiencing homelessness across Los Angeles, most of Los Angeles County. And so in their 2021, 2021, not 2021, they estimated that LA has a deficit of um, more than 500,000 affordable housing units to meet current demand. And that research was done before the pandemic really hit. It was done in January. So we don't really have an idea of what that number is right now after all the economic fallout, right? Myths around homelessness can be really detrimental to achieving those goals. So primarily, a lot of people believe that homelessness can be a personal choice. People who are unhoused want to stay unhoused. Um, 
And that's just like patently not true, right? So no one really wants to be homeless. Um, That same homeless count report I was just talking about found that 60%, 59% of people reported economic burden as a primary reason of their homelessness. No one you know, I was really saying like, I want to be homeless. Uh, Other myths uh, that can be really kind of harmful are that affordable housing drives down local property value, which again, isn't true. There have been reports published that show that it's not true. And then we also see um, that a lot of people tend to believe uh, that most unhoused people experience severe mental illness or substance abuse, um, which again is not, you know, like a widespread generalization that is true. Um, so again, the 2020 homeless actually found that only 7% of unhoused individuals reported substance abuse and only 25% uh, severe mental illness. And so one of the problems with that particular myth is that it kind of reifies this belief that people need to be in treatment or, you know, undergoing undergoing some sort of services before they are quote unquote deserving of housing. And so that leads to kind of this like opposition against the housing first approach, which research shows is actually most successful in um, ending homelessness for good. Um, And it basically just rests upon the belief that, you know, housing is a human right. um, And once people are housed, everything else will follow. And then the last myth that I wanted to bring up, because I think it's especially prevalent or important to talk about here in LA and in California, is that a lot of people think that individuals uh, who are living unsheltered in Los Angeles actually came from elsewhere (laughs) because of the nice weather, right? But again, that one's really not true. Um, And another LASA report showed that 72% of adults um, living unhoused in Los Angeles had been living in LA for more than 20 years. And the reason that I bring one up is because what I think, and I think a lot of um, people in this space think critical is for everyone to really see unhoused individuals as their neighbors, um, to see Los Angeles as a neighborhood where everyone, you know, like your success depends on the success of your neighbor. And if we all thrive together, you know, everything will be so much better. Um, And so we really see like that as kind of another starting point for like opening up compassion and changing minds um, and things. But it can be, it's a very like emotional and of course politicized topic. So Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know a lot about that. And relating to one thing you said about how people sometimes think that having like affordable housing in their or shelters in their um, neighborhoods would cause property value to go down on like a super light note, very not extreme, a show that I watched called Shameless. There was was a moment in there where one of the characters owned an apartment building and she was really worried that her brother opening a homeless shelter, shelter in the lot right next to it would like drive down her property value and they had this whole fight about it and oh, I thought yeah. that was really interesting because I I've never yeah like I didn't really think about that outside of the context of the show but that's actually like a true worry of some people which isn't true so yeah and I think it kind of comes tied up with the fear about um you know like substance abuse and mental illness and crime and so just like really unpacking them being like this is this and this is this is um yeah really needed <laughs> But also, yeah, I'm a shameless fan, too. Um, okay, the next question is, what is your favorite, we know that you've only been working at DOE since uh, March, but do you have any favorite things about working there? So I said before that no day is the same, um, and that is very, very true, um, and it keeps it exciting and interesting. Um, I mean, it's also just, like, incredible to be part of such a 
what seems to me coming from other nonprofits, like a longstanding institution um, that has like such a big community around it. And I mean, even like you guys, like reaching out to do this interview is just like, like I love kind of engagements like this and seeing how excited people are to contribute and talk about the issues. And like, if we post on Instagram, like, oh, we need some more towels, you know, the next day we'll be flooded with towels. So really kind of seeing that response is just incredible. Um, and I think it really builds upon the fact that um, I don't think most people know this, but for the first 14 years, DWC was totally run by volunteers, which to me is like truly amazing. And I mean, even before the pandemic, like we would, I think in like 2019, we had over 30,000 hours of volunteer service total. And so, yeah, it's just like, it's such a community effort. And as part of that community is the women who come to DWC um, and the advocates that we get to work with um, to really hone their stories. And it's just like, yeah, if I had to sum it up in a word, it would be the community. And you guys are part of that now too. So that's really exciting. <laughs> that's amazing. She seems to have a really amazing, like close knit community where everybody cares about other. And so our last question is for students like us who want to help out, what is the best way for us to help organizations like the Downtown Women's Center in their fight against homelessness? Um, well, I think that, you know, you three are totally doing it already. <laughs> I think part of it is engaging in the conversation, like kind of discovering the issue um, for yourself, engaging in the conversation, bringing it to others. Um, whether that's uh, on a podcast or with your close friends and family or on social media. Um, and as part of that conversation, one thing that we like to say is that, you know, ending homelessness um, can really start small uh, at the individual level. And so having, um, maybe not for you guys, cause you're still in high school, but you know, like having conversations in with the people in your life that are open and honest and um, just like making sure that you have that safety net um, and knowing where the people um, that you love like are in their lives can, you know, really just like make a huge difference. And I think it's also something all of us just like need right on a human level. But in terms of them being more involved, like in the general sense, um, you know, we unfortunately haven't been able to um, welcome volunteers on site to DWC ourselves um, since the start of the pandemic, uh, just because our community has a heightened vulnerability to COVID-19. Um, but if you're able to find organizations um, that you can still go on site, if that's something that you feel safe or in the future, um, or even, you know, like remote volunteering, whether it's translating things into Spanish to reach, um, you know, more women and people in need, at DWC in particular, we have been encouraging our, you know, amazing, uh, massive <laughs> group of volunteers to continue supporting us um, by hosting what we call kit drives. So there are like a number of quote unquote kits that um, can really help our community. They are, they include toiletry kits, snack packs, and kind of clean home kits. So literally just, you know, stuff for like an apartment when you move into it, right? Um, and so like kind of fundraising for things like that, um, or hosting even just like a birthday fundraiser, donating 
if you're able to, whether it's in kind or financially. Um, but I think just like having your ears and eyes open and also, um, you know, using your voice for the issue as well is like a huge, it can like, it can make a big difference. Um, and that's why, I'm, like I said, like, I'm so happy to be here with you guys and kind of talking about this. Yeah, we see a lot of these kind of conversations about the, a lot of these issues that we, you know, did research and but still talking to people that have experience like you, it's you always learn a lot. So it's really, really important to us and kind of our whole goal. And um, I just really want to thank you for coming on with us today because I know it's super busy right now and it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it was I learned a lot. So that's really, really, really great. Thank you for having me for reaching out to DWC and I'm so sad that we can't, you know, invite you on site for a tour right now because that's something that we love to do um, with, you know, everyone that we kind of engage with um, to come see like our day center, which is such a dynamic place. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know, just thank you for inviting me. Thank you all so much for listening. We've linked all the info about the Downtown's Women's Center below, such as their Instagram, their website, and places where you can donate. You can find us on Instagram at AOTA Club, which is spelled A-O-T-A Club, where we have a link tree in our bio, which has our website, our podcasts, and meeting links. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Catch you on the flip. <laughs>